In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One who brings us back to who we are supposed to be. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, it's St. Patrick's Day. I almost felt like pulling out the green robe, uh, stole, uh, but I didn't. It's still Lent. And we're still talking about this series that we're going through that we're calling Lent Out Loud. An opportunity for you to make your voice heard during these midweek celebrations that we have together. Unfortunately, last week... Nobody turned anything in. The phrase to complete was supposed to be, I want to go back. And yet, it's something that maybe is a little bit too too personal for us to share. Maybe it's something a little bit too close to our hearts to think about those times that we want to go back to, those things that we want to go back to, those stages in our life that we would like to experience again. And it's interesting that this falls on St. Patrick's Day. Because St. Patrick's story definitely lends itself to that sort of an idea of some time when somebody probably was thinking to themselves, I want to go back. Because you see, we're celebrating this saint of the church, this missionary of the church who ended up really claiming many, many Irish souls for Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. But he did that with quite a bit of background. You see, when little Patrick was just a boy, his mother and father were Roman citizens. They were Roman citizens, probably Italians even, that had been moved into England, into Britain, where they were living for the time being as Roman citizens there in order to help with some of the governmental affairs. And there was a lot of war going on in the UK at that time. There were these raids that would come in from the north, from Ireland and from Scotland, that would attack the Roman garrisons that were in Britain. And one of these raiding parties happened in Patrick's town. And they came through and they stole little Patrick when he was just a child. And he was raised with all of those Irish raiders that he had been stolen by. Raised with their language, raised with their culture, understanding really who they were at his most, his most intricate bottom of his soul. And yet, he knew that he was a little bit different. He knew that he wasn't like these people. He knew that there was a story behind him. And how often he must have thought, I wish maybe I could just go back. I wish maybe I could just go back to when I was a little boy and when that raid happened, maybe if I would have hid here. Maybe if I would have done something else. Maybe if, maybe it would have changed. Maybe I wouldn't have been dragged across by these Irish raiders. Maybe I would have just stayed with my mother and my father. But that ship had long sailed. So he kept on thinking about it. And in fact, the legend of St. Patrick says that he prayed about it quite a bit. 
That he would cry out to God and ask that he would be rescued from his captivity, being raised not as a son there in Ireland, but being raised as a young slave. And so, one day, on his 20th birthday, he got this little nudge from God. That's at least the way that the legend goes. That he got this nudge from God that told him to go out to the sea, and from there he would be rescued. And so Patrick gathered all of his things, everything that he could grab without looking like he was escaping, and he went out to the sea, and there, off in the sea, he could see a ship. And he started waving his arms frantically, saying, Help! And it happened to be some sailors from Britain, from the southern country where he had come from. And they actually stopped their boat and they picked him up at age 20 and brought him back to Britain. And while he was in Britain, he studied under the church because his mother and his father had long since been gone. Nobody knows what happened to them, but somebody had to help this young orphan boy out. And so he was delivered basically to the steps of the church. And there they taught him to read and to write, and they taught him the Bible, and they taught him all of the stories of our God. And while he was there, he began to feel this little nudge inside of him. He began to feel that maybe he should go back. In fact, it even says that he had this dream in which he could see the people of Ireland calling to him. Come back to us. Come back to us. So that he might go there and save them. So that he might go there and share the gospel with them. So that he might go there and tell them about this miraculous God. This God who was three in one. This God who died on a cross for their sins. Who exhibited his power in that weakness of the cross. But yet that power was so much greater than any of their pagan gods could ever be. And so with that nudging, he went back. He went back to Ireland, the place that had enslaved him. And he shared the gospel with them. He told them who this God was that he worshipped and how they could worship this God as well. And he spent, it says, over 40 years traveling through Ireland and talking with tribal chiefs so that they would convert to Christianity. So that they would be saved. So that they would be brought back. It's a story about coming back. First of all, wanting to go back in the early part of his life. Wanting to go back to a time when everything seemed like it was pristine. Wanting to go back to a time where it seemed like everything had worked itself out. And then later on, being urged to go back to something that he knew was probably scary. That maybe he didn't even want to go to at first. Something maybe, in fact, that he didn't even want to listen to 
at first. Then we have another story tonight. We have this story, this famous story, this story that even people have called the greatest story in the Bible and even possibly the greatest story in all of humanity. This story of the prodigal son. This boy who comes to his father and he says, You know, Father, I would rather have your money right now. I'm not really all that concerned about you. In fact, what he was saying there is, It would be okay if you died. Just give me the money. And his father patiently says, Okay, here it is. And he divides up his fortune between his two boys. He divides up his fortune between this prodigal son and the older boy. There's a big difference between these two guys. First of all, the word prodigal, we think it means that it has this sense of leaving and coming back. It doesn't have that sense at all. The word prodigal actually means somebody who is prone to live extravagantly. And that's who this younger boy was. He wanted to live extravagantly. He wanted to go out and spend time in this extravagant lifestyle where he had all of his father's money and he could use all of it to get whatever he wanted. And then you have the older boy. Now it's interesting, we get to the older boy later, but it's interesting when we hear the father say, all that I have is yours, because that was most certainly the case. Because in order for the father to give the youngest boy his share, legally he would have had to give the other share to the oldest boy. Which meant that the father then was flat broke. That he was out of money. And so this older boy, he wasn't just a good boy because he was out working in the fields. He was a good boy because he was out working in the fields and he was taking care of his father. And so the contrast begins to get bigger and bigger between the two. And then you get to hear about the prodigal son. He's finally lost all of his money, living richly, extravagantly, prodigally. We find out from his older brother that that included prostitutes as well. And it probably included a lot of other things that we wouldn't want our children to be doing. This prodigal son finally ends up in a pigsty. You can only begin to imagine what it's like for a Jewish boy to be working in a pigsty of all places and wanting to eat the food that pigs are eating. But yet that's where he finds himself. And he finds himself saying, I want to go back. I'm here starving. I want to go back. Even my father's servants, they have enough food to eat. I'll just go back and I'll be a servant. And so he begins to formulate this plan in his head about how he's going to go back and confess to his father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Please hire me on as a hired servant. 
And so he gets this all in his mind and you can almost begin to see this prodigal son working it through his mind, working the words as he's walking towards his father's house saying, I want to go back. But it was a going back that he knew was going to be tough. In fact, his father probably could have had a few other choices than what we see in this story. His father could have had him killed. His father could have set him apart from the family completely. He could have just said, I am not even going to hire you on as a servant. I'm not going to take you as a slave. You get out of here right now. And quite frankly, that's probably what would happen in a lot of our families and extended families if something similar happened. But this father, this father is different. This father goes running down the hill towards his boy and he wraps his arms around his boy and he says, I'm so glad that you're home. And then the prodigal, he starts thinking through his memorized lines and he starts saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And it's as if the father cuts him off at please and says to the servant, Go. Don't even let him say, hire me on as a servant. Go and get him a robe. Go and get him a ring. Go and put sandals on his feet. All of these things that are signs of his sonship. That he's being welcomed back into the family, not as a servant, not as a hireling, but as a son. And he says, my son has returned. My son has come back. And he's so happy. The older brother is not quite so happy. He says, I'm not so happy that he's come back, Father. In fact, I'm a little bit angry with you. In fact, I'm not even sure what you're doing. He went and squandered all of your money on worthless stuff. Why are you inviting him back in? And he's saying all of these things, but there's a little bit of curiosity in his saying that. That he is saying, why are you inviting him back in? He's not the same as what he used to be. He's not the same as the little boy that I grew up with. We aren't, we don't have the same relationship anymore, he and I. We're not going back to the way that it is. He has done something so horrible that I'm not ready to go back. I'm not ready to let him back in. And that's the second story. Your story is the third. There have been a lot of things in your story where you've had times where you've wanted to go back. 
times where you have thought to yourself, if only I could go back. If only I could somehow go back to a time before I knew what it was like to be addicted. Before I knew what it was like to have this kind of pain in my life. Before I knew what it was like to know the hardship of living at the age that I live. Before I knew what calculus was. There's plenty of time that you have to look back upon and say, those were the good times. That's what I want to go back to. And yet, there's also some other times in your lives. Sometimes where perhaps you're not quite as willing to go back. Maybe it's something that you thought that you stuffed away under the rug of your life that you thought it will never come back and there it was staring at you again in the face beckoning you back and saying you have to come back to this our lives are stuck in those stories of wanting to go back and not ever wanting to go back And into those stories, our Savior walks in. Our God walks into those stories and says, You know the times that you thought were so great? I've got something even better. The times that you hold on to here in this life, whether that's when you were 6 or 16 or 60 in your life, God has something much greater planned for you. Perhaps it will be in this life and certainly it will be in the resurrection. He has such amazing things for you that you won't ever want to go back. You will be there in the resurrection next to the people that you admire the most, that you thought had the best lives, the lives that they would never want to go back to anything before. And they'll say, that life was just trash compared to this. And then there are those things that creep up into our lives. Those things where we maybe don't want to go back. And Jesus is there in those moments too. He was there for St. Paul, who had to go back time and time again and say, I killed tens and twenties and thirties of Christians. And I'm going to tell you about it day in and day out because I'm different now. Because I have Jesus. He was there with you. When that sin came up in your memory, and you thought, I don't ever want to go back to that again. And He said, that sin is no longer yours. You don't have to go back to it. It's mine now. He did all of that 
so that He could have us back. So that He could envelop us in His arms and say, I am so glad that you're back. Back with me, back where I can love you, back where I can watch over you, back where you know me and you know how much love I have for you. That is our God. The God who constantly welcomes us back. No matter what the story is. No matter what the situation is. And so as we confess our sins tonight, you're going to be bringing back up some things. But always remember that in the midst of that, God is forgiving you And God is saying, I don't care what you did before. I'm just glad to have you back. Amen.